Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. This podcast is focused on new approaches in CNS and PNS delivery from the 2023 POD Partnership Opportunities in Drug Delivery Conference. For more information on the POD conference, editorials, podcasts, or webinars, please visit podconference.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Thank you, everyone. Um, you know, we are excited about, you know, going from uh, precision ophthalmology to now CNS and PNS delivery. Uh, so I'll let uh, the panelists introduce themselves, and then we'll get started. Yeah, I'm Gabrielle Protzl. I'm Senior Director in Neuroscience Drug Discovery at uh, Takeda Pharmaceuticals, and I'm a biologist by training. Uh, my name is Haiming Wu. I'm the head of new device technology research and the innovation team at Sanofi. Hi, I'm Bin Wu, uh, founder, president, and the CSO of Fastrex. And Fastrex is a CDMO um, specializing in drug delivery uh, technologies. Okay, and myself, uh, I'm Sujit Basu. I'm head of pharmaceutical development at IONIS. Um, so we'll start um, the CNS-PNS delivery with uh, sort of the progress that has been made. Um, and I think this year, you know, marks a very important um, place in, in sort of the development. Uh, we have approval for Alzheimer. We have first approval for ALS. Um, how do you see the progress in the field, uh, Gabrielle? Uh, yeah, we also have the approval for the AADC gene therapy with an intraparenchymal device. Uh, I think we have made a lot of progress, but we have, as we heard from the ophthalmology group, still a lot of challenges, especially when we want to go to the deep brain tissues. So, and I think the mixture of the different modalities uh, also coming to approval, as well as the different delivery approaches, that will be, I think, what we're looking forward to uh, really make impact and progress. Uh, I definitely agree. It's an exciting period for the really synthesis delivery. And uh, there are many ways. Of course, there's no perfect ways. There are challenges associated with uh, uh, deep brain penetration and broad brain exposure. But uh, certainly, there are ways to tackle that. And there are a lot of uh, research and development in those areas. Yeah, I think the success that we have uh, seen um, is mostly based on the uh, leveraging the um, transferrin receptor, uh, transferrin receptor, and uh, receptor-mediated transcytosis. Uh, so you can uh, deliver nanoparticles uh, to the to, to the CNS. Right. Um, I think the challenges are like you have to you know for for IV for in the uh, systemic injection. You have to worry about, I think, three uh, levels of uh, challenges. One level is, you know, you have to get them to the, um, to the, to the tissue, close to the brain tissue, right? And then you have to worry about them uh, cross the blood-brain barrier and get into the CNS. And the third level of challenges, even if you enter the, the CNS, you still have to worry about them getting to the. Um, to the relevant cells and, and get into the cells and to, to, to be functional. You know, as we think about the challenges and, and the improvement in delivery, um, it's not all just the delivery vehicle, right? It's a, a combination of the payload and the delivery. So what are some of the improvements you have seen uh, and, and the direction of research in the 
payload itself, improvement there. And to fit it better, um, yeah. delivered in the... In the um, yeah, I mean, I think the two, the two biggest breakthroughs for me is what uh, was shown by Voyager today in terms of the AAV, uh, really um, crossing the blood brain barrier efficiently and giving a very broad distribution. And when I mean, that allows for the gene therapy, it's still a limitation in terms of size. And I think the other exciting field is the transferrin receptor, which enables, it's not limited, I think, to one modality because it can be, it can be uh, connected with a protein or an ASO or then also your LNP. And I think it's still... Uh, it's all obviously drawbacks because transferrin receptor is not so specific. It's very widely expressed. But I think that's, that's a, I think the two main pieces on, on, uh, uh, in terms of um, bringing our payloads uh, to the right place. So uh, as I see it, basically there are two approaches for you to really increase that uh, penetration. Uh, and one is uh, systemic delivery and the other is uh, target delivery and through mostly through some direct synthesis delivery. And if you want to deliver systematically, obviously, antibodies, and uh, I think this morning, uh, Alessandra has made that keynote, you only have 0.1.5% of antibodies can cross it. That's basically it. And, uh, and for gene therapies, you can look for that's really optimized capsid, and potentially, if there's a breakthrough, that'd be great. Uh, the alternatively is, uh, doing direct synthesis delivery through, for example, intrathecomings, intraprangomings, and also intracystem magnus. So I, as I see it, if you're doing the systematic delivery, then the only option for you for biology is to keep increasing the drug concentration and volume. That's why you see there's a common theme of trying to uh, increase uh, large volume delivery devices development, and uh, there are a lot of activities going on there. Um, and for the direct synthesis delivery, then you have all kinds of, uh, well, uh, right now I'm seeing more and more um, some device company looking to some uh, synthesis delivery approaches, is leveraging some uh, surgical tools, uh, surgical delivery devices. So in terms of the payload, um, I think that we're delivering, there's involvement, right? It used to be small molecules and rely on the small molecule passive crossing, you know, the, the paracellular uh, pathway to uh, cr um, passively cross the, into, the, into the brain. Obviously, it's a very limited amount that, that they can cross. But now we're talking about and antibodies, we're talking about enzymes, we're talking about proteins and nucleic acids delivery. I think that's a huge uh, progress. Um, and, and Jaime mentioned uh, the intrathecal delivery, right? Um, I think you know, one of the ways to improve uh, the, um, the uh, I think the kinetics, uh, the PK, is to increase the, um, yeah, the half-life of the, of, the, of, of the modality of your, your drug or your, your nanoparticle inside the, um, the, the brain, inside the CNS, so you can reduce the frequency, because obviously you don't want to uh, have to inject in, you know, things intrathecally every day, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's one area that at IONIS we are working on to look at the chemistry itself, and for the antisense, um, you know, we could see just um, introducing a modification could go from, you know, monthly intrathecal administration to 
maybe quarterly or every six months. And that, again, it's still invasive intrathecal, but it's a significant progress in terms of reducing the frequency. Um, I'm sure we all would like to know what the ligand X would be, <laughs> but uh, transferrin continued to be, I think, quite interesting from either um, the antibody fragments uh, to uh, transferrin or maybe even uh, peptide um, and that we uh, look at like bicyclic um, that could uh, target and, and that may be another um, simpler way if you can give it systematically and, and get to um, the brain. Um, uh, one of the area obviously for CNS, PNS delivery is that we are um, dealing with a lot of disease with neurological implication. And in many cases, those are genetic disease that um, uh, it manifests itself early in, um, as a pediatric patient. So, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, while you were at Biogen, yeah, there were collaboration with Ioness to develop Spinraza. Um, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what additional burden in product development is um, with the consideration of that we are treating pediatric patient in brand, so, you know, multiple layers of barriers that we address here. Uh, definitely, definitely. I think uh, for the pediatric and adult, you definitely look at it differently. One of the major things, what are the differences in the anatomy, right? I mean, uh, let's see, uh, if it's uh, children that are still undergoing growth, let's see, if you want to put a surgical implant device into the body there, you have to think about the potential growth issue that could cost. And also the dosing levels, that's another thing, is that uh, um, how much uh, the CSF volume, right, is, is different for, let's say, pediatric patient, for the adult patient. And, uh, but ideally, if you want to uh, talk about payload, you increase that uh, because you have steep gre uh, gradient that, uh, across the spinal cord. And uh, so in order to really move more drugs to the, to the brain, you want to increase vol volume, dosing volume. But uh, with a pediatric patient population, what is the safe volume that you have to consider for that? Um, and specifically for sleeping rather, um, and intrathecal delivery, that another major aspect is um, you have to really pay attention to the procedure aspect of it. And uh, one issue associated with intrathecal delivery is a CSF leak. So one known potential adverse effect is uh, um, a headache associated with CSF leak. That is the indication you have gross CSF leak. So depending on the procedure and the type of needle you used, and that could be mitigated. In the severe cases, you could have, let's say, if you use a traumatic needle, it could cause like 30 or 40% gross CSF leak. And uh, side effect alone is also an issue for the drug loss, because when you first inject the drug into the spinal cord, you have a, a pooling of the drug near the wound side. So if you have a gross leak, the drug would be lost as well. So you're really compromising your dosing integrity. And uh, in addition, you are also really open up uh, additional exposure of drug to the systemic clearance. In ideal situation, you want them to stay in the CFS space, right, and get to the brain. But now you are just, because of the leak and uh, trauma to the vasculature, and you are really 
causing additional faster clearance systematically. So uh, those are some issues that you really have to pay attention. We are trying to conduct really a targeted delivery. You have really to scrutinize the procedure and you look at what the devices uses to conduct that procedure and try to really optimize that. In addition, you also had to, should look into the, all the delivery controls like infusion rate and what kind of infusion profile you would like to use. Obviously, um, you know, your organization has quite a bit of interest in neuroscience and, and there are a lot of small molecules there. So how do you, how, how do you approach that? Um, so, so, I mean, in, in general, um, Takeda does a modality agnostic approach, but when we look at genetic uh, diseases, uh, the issue is that you, in addition to the CNS uh, phenotype, you have, uh, like when you look at Friedreich ataxia, you have the heart, or even Huntington has a lot of peripheral um, um, issues. So I think it's another sort of layer, especially in the uh, more rare disease space, that you want, that you need to target more than one, uh, more than one tissue. And then everything on the, uh, I think the, when you have like with Huntington, a wide range of uh, onset, or even Parkinson's also wide range of onset, uh, is really guided by regulatory that you usually have to go to the um, adult population first before you go into the uh, pediatric, but it needs a separate development program for it. Anything you want to add? Yeah, in, in, uh, getting back to the, the pediatric uh, um, situation, so in my opinion, the... Uh, there's uh, opportunities, there's uh, challenges, and there's opportunities um, in terms of uh, pediatric, uh, for t treating pediatric uh, patients. Um, because, first of all, uh, I think children, they're more, as Hemi mentioned, vulnerable to surgery and radiation therapy. So if it's a brain tumor situation, and uh, the children um, less likely to get you know, treated for, with, with the surgery and the radiation, so you need to develop... Uh, uh, new uh, new treatment treatment modalities, and secondly, um, the uh, chemical features and uh, disease marker disease uh, um, uh, targets uh, in in adults and in pediat pediatric patients uh, very, could be very different, right? So you can't really just uh, um, uh, extrapolate you know the, the adult therapy uh, into uh, pediatric patient populations. So, so that means you may need, you may, there may be opportunities to discover new targets and also opportunities to modify your, your form, formulation for adult therapy and to better fit um, the needs for the pediatric patients. Yeah, and, and two other areas that I um, looked at for the pediatric is that, you know, uh, pediatric patients obviously have a different requirement if it is a device, for example, if it is a port and catheter or intrathecal device, um, these patients are active. Uh, you know, these are kids and, and they are playing. So you need to also consider kind of the impact on the device um, because it's an active population. Uh, and then the second one is uh, we also come across is that when the pediatric population is also growing population, right? They are, their body weight is increasing. So if you are using a surgical procedure, you need to also make sure that there is room for growth. You have um, the catheters can kind of uh, fit 
into this growing patient. Um, so maybe I'll take this opportunity to see if there are any questions for the panel from the audience at this point. Yes, please. Hi, a very good uh, discussion. This is a head. Okay, uh, this is Jerry from Hopewell Therapeutic. I, um, uh, well, you, you guys just mentioned the systematic delivery to, to uh, CNS. That's a holy grail of the delivery, and that uh, and there, there's a lot of hurdles that you know have to go through BBB and go through the the, 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 the brain cells. Um, my question is: um, is, it, is it, can you comment on the in vitro assays that can divide this process? process into you know, some easier parts and they can uh, uh, tackle uh, individually. The in vitro assays that can speed up this, you know, um, the, the delivery uh, hurdle. Yeah, so it's a kind of multi-dimensional problem and can we, can we uh, create modules and solve each of the modules to both understand and then solve? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think it may be there are at least two ways I can think of, uh, you know, doing this in, in vitro instead of in vivo. So one is there are models uh, of this uh, that mimic the blood-brain barrier. You can uh, there are various models. Then you can you can just easily you can just um, kind of incubate your uh, your your suspension, for example, nanoparticle suspension, and then you can see if they cross. For example, you can label them fluorescently labeled. You can see the fluorescence, you know, uh, on this side of the membrane. So that's one way to do this. Uh, and another way to do this is uh, you can test the neuron cells, right? Now some of the neuron cells, or even just the endothelial cells, and that they mimic that you can mimic the uh, the blood uh, the, the tight junction of the BBB, and and to see if there's a transcytosis or, or, or endocytosis. Okay, in, in, in terms of, I think, crossing the blood-brain barrier, I agree there's many models which can um, help you validate that. But when we go uh, in terms of the whole development, even the small animals, mouse versus large animals, monkeys, is very different. If we look, and when we look at a full biodistribution, uh, the mouse is, gives us very optimistic data, I would say. <laughs> Um, and I think it's always a joke in the field, you can cure a mouse, but uh, it does not necessarily translate. So I think it's a real issue, especially for neuroscience, still a lack of robust uh, disease models and robust large animal disease models. Uh, Bioessay is not my expertise, so, um, but I do want to comment on the modeling, and uh, especially, for example, intrathecal delivery. And we all understand CSI dynamics is a very complex uh, phenomena. And, uh, but there are quite some modeling effort use, using computation fluid dynamics and treat the system as a physical models. But clearly, and uh, our spinal cord is not physical uh, stuff. It's not just a bunch of bones there. And uh, I believe that uh, by factoring some of those individual fac uh, elements into it, that will make that modeling more robust. And uh, another aspect I want to highlight is that since you touch on the mouse and, uh, uh, and the human and uh, uh, large animal species, I think for targeted delivery, especially is involving direct CNS delivery, this is the critical aspect. You have to really look at the devices and your delivery parameters and then look into the translational issues here. Because uh, clearly you can see 
exciting result with the mouse, but as soon as you go to the larger species, and then from larger species into the, from HP to human, then you can have yeah. disconnect there. So you really have to scrutinize on the devices used, make sure they're translatable. Because you look at the needle used for the mouse and the, the needle that's used for human, they're totally different. And uh, the doses for the mouse and those for human, of course, are different. Not only that, there's a dose accuracy issue as well. So if I dosing, let's say, a few um, microliters for the mouse, and then potentially your dose accuracy could be 100%, 200%. But that's probably not representative is, uh, for your typical dose accuracy for larger species there. Yeah, and, and this sort of encapsulates the, the challenge that, that we work here. I mean, one additional area is that you know, it's not only just going to CNS or PNS, it's also both uptake into the right cell type and then the delivery of the cargo, especially you know, if you are using a delivery system that is either uh, particle-based, lipid nanoparticle, or viral. Um, and, and this is where maybe if we can solve the um, targeting approach um, where we solved it for liver with Galnax, so if a comparative Galnax-like molecule for CNS and PNS can be developed, I think that would be, that would be wonderful. Um, just to see if any other question, otherwise we'll continue. Please. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, better model, definitely good point. What other areas or methods do you see as a something that could accelerate the pace of development? Um, other than the model, what other areas of um, improvement or advancement do you think would be helpful in, in understanding? It's a tough question. <laughs> as you can see us um, thinking about it. I mean, it's, I mean, uh, I think all different aspects, if it's uh, like really a delivery-like uh, device, I think there's still a lot of room for improvement for devices, especially, I think, for the chronic administrations for the SIRNAs and ASOs, which uh, is like, uh, and also probably is continuous, because currently we're doing this interval. So I think it's, it's like lots of, like looking at all aspects uh, from the uh, payload versus all the delivery models. I mean, on the LNPs, um, we see now, I think the first efforts that they start working somewhat for uh, for, uh, for CNS, uh, but it's uh, still uh, pr probably a lot of development uh, to be done to have something really robust. So it's not a single, single method, but it's really taking advantage of that whole span of the field, for, uh, you know, including AI and and all the um, technologies which are out there. So I would just comment on the device side, uh, specifically for direct CNS delivery. I think there are uh, there need to be clear understanding on the limitations and what is a, a potential applicable areas the different device solutions could provide, and uh, have a really uh, clear understanding on that. And in addition, uh, I do believe there are opportunities for innovation, especially in the adjacent uh, field, not direct related to the delivery, but let's see, from the innovative surgical procedures where uh, new devices could be developed to enable direct, uh, much better direct CNS delivery. 
Yeah, maybe uh, you know for in vitro um, testing models, maybe you could uh, do test the gene knockdowns, right? Using like a reported gene, for example, loaded in the nanoparticles, and then uh, see if we can knock down genes and compare, um, you know, the the efficiency of the gene knockdowns, and then and then that you can use that to compare, like rank your your formulations. I mean, one other kind of broader. Um, aspect of the development is kind of validated biomarkers would be great because many of these neurological diseases, they develop slowly too. So if we can get early read uh, whether our delivery solutions are working or not, that would be great. Um, as we are closing this session, maybe um, the last question for the panel is, and maybe Gabriel, I'll start with you here. Um, sort of as you are thinking about partnering, um, you know, with the theme of this uh, conference, what are the areas that you are most excited about uh, to search for solutions, so to speak? I mean, we, we definitely need a better delivery for the deep brain um, um, delivery, uh, but we're very um, open, like to to everything from the device. We're looking deeply into device systems um, up to the uh, nanoparticles. So it's like there's a whole spectrum, and I think Takeda is always uh, very flexible and and is very uh, really is very interested in innovative solutions, and it's also at any stage. I can echo Gabriel's comments here. Yes, we fully embrace uh, any innovations in this field involving novel delivery procedures and novel delivery devices. And uh, uh, I think uh, when we have made, before we made breakthroughs in that BB crossing capsid, I think this is probably our best shot. Yeah, uh, we are on the we are CDMO. Fastrex is the CDMO, so we are on the service side. So we would uh, you know love to partner with uh, uh, you guys and to uh, help you uh, to you know. Uh, I think we we should focus on optimizing the, uh, the you know the ligands and uh, you know the ligand density and and the formulation to maximize the, uh, the amount of the payload and, you know delivered into the into the into the CNS. And also, uh, also you know, enhanced uh, the intracellular delivery inside CNS. And I think, I mean, for example, we um, in the past we we ex on an exploratory basis we developed a process uh, that allows us to load oligonucleotides like ASO and inside uh, polymeric nanoparticle. And in, in the same process, in, the, in we uh, allowed us to attach, uh, you know, transferring on the surface of the nanoparticles, and then we demonstrated that could, the nanoparticle could cross uh, the blood-brain barrier, and we saw the CNA, uh, ASO to be delivered into the, into the brain. So that, I think it's still, like, again, explore on an explore basis, but I think that put, you know, the, the process is a very, one-step process of very organic. Yeah, yeah and, and sort of thinking it as a whole system, um, I think the field has advanced quite a bit in terms of understanding the structure-activity relationship of some of these molecules so that while you are trying to solve these very devastating diseases, you're still understanding, you know, which of these are maybe immune trigger or some other difficulties. You know, we have talked quite a bit about trying to avoid liver when we don't want to go there uh, while we are trying to 
deliver in CNS and PNS. Um, and, and so I think that system approach, uh, keeping in mind that we're beginning to just scratch the surface, you know, it's obviously a very difficult challenge, but seeing even in you know, small successes in, you know, devastating disease like SMA, now Alzheimer and ALS gives us great hope and also great energy to continue to do our research in this space. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Pod Conference editorial, podcasts, or webcasts, please visit podconference.com. Thanks for listening.